March 2011, um, an earthquake and tsunami hit the eastern coast of Japan. 35,000 apparently died, and the numbers are continuing to rise. May 2008, uh, we didn't hear much about this one, but a cyclone uh, rips through the Irrawaddy de- um, Delta in Burma, and over 100,000 people died. Looking back a few more years, October 2005, we did hear about this. Uh, in the Kashmir region of Pakistan, there was an earthquake and 58,000 people died. And we won't forget this one. Uh, December the 26th, 2004, a tsunami strikes in the heart of the Indian Ocean and hits multiple sites around that area, killing 283,000 people. And millions, of course, lose their homes. Waves as high as 30 metres destroy everything in their path. On that day, apparently, the whole earth vibrated to the extent of one centimetre, the whole way around the world. Earthquakes were felt as far away as Alaska. Now, those are the big headlines, but in the last few years, it's been recorded that on average, one official natural disaster occurs nearly every day. One reporter simply put it like this, the world is lurching from one disaster to another. The, the International Red Cross say that in the last recorded decade, what they did, ended, ending 2005 actually, nearly 2.6 billion people had been affected in that, um, in that decade by a natural disaster. That's nearly half of the population of the world. Now, if all that is a bit too vast and a bit too big, let's bring the scale down a little closer to home. I don't know if you remember, I remember this quite vividly. Back in uh, August, a couple of years ago, a, a little girl was playing on the beach with her father, digging a hole, as you do in the sand, seeing how de- deep you can go, and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly it, it caved in and suffocated her to death. Per- personal kind of disasters beset all of us to some degree. Now, that little girl was just a bit, bit, bit more daunting for me because I was on holiday at the same time with my two boys of a similar age, digging similar type of holes. What about the parents, though, of a 16-year-old boy who was stabbed to death in southeast London just last night, not been named yet? What must be going through their minds right now? And how do they and how do we react to disasters, whether they are personal or whether they have the, the big earthquake macros kind of scale in our world? How does it make us feel? I suppose for most of us, our first response and question is, Why? Why me, or why has this happened in our world? Why is the world like this, so chaotic and seemingly cruel at times? Perhaps a better question, a more personal question to ask is, what if this happens to me? Um, What if I face disaster of some form in my life? We may feel safe as we are in Lovely Earlsville, the United Kingdom and so on. But chaos is chaotic and will strike wherever and whenever it suits. I remember being on a cliff in Cornwall as the epicentre of the uh, Hurricane Charlie came through. It was a number of years ago, wasn't it, when a few trees in Kew Gardens apparently blew down. But, you know, that, that was nothing in comparison to what was happening down in Cornwall when it came through. You know, and I, we were there and we actually fled inland that night to get off the cliff, the cliff edge where we were staying. And we came back in the morning. And we stood on those cliffs as waves were nearly up near us. And that was certainly a a situation where you thought, this is chaotic. 
This is so powerful and so out of control. There was, it seemingly no order. See, that's the thing, isn't it? No one sets their alarms to remember that winds are coming to destroy their homes. You know, farmers don't wake up and circle a day on their calendar and say, oh, that's the day that I need to make sure the livestock are in because actually a massive hurricane's coming along and all my, you know, I'll protect my crops then. No. They'll never be sure. So how do we feel when we look at tsunamis in Japan, famine in Ethiopia at the moment? A recent BBC poll put it this way. It said 44% of us respond with fear. Fear of similar happening in our lives, parallel to our lives. How do you feel as you walk down the street in a, maybe a less salubrious part of London? Where you see a gang of youths on a corner, maybe even they, one of them, two of them start following you. How do you feel when you can't find your toddler at a departure lounge of a very busy international airport? Or you lose them on Oxford Street for five minutes? I'll put my hands up to both of those. I tell you, you feel absolutely petrified. You feel afraid. We live in a seemingly chaotic and perhaps cruel world. But I hope, I really hope, as we look tonight at Jesus, in just this little story, we begin to see only some of the answers to some of those questions we've opened up. And why this world is like it is. But more than that, I hope we're going to see an answer to the question, what if we face some form of disaster in our lives? Some of you already have. And some of you are feeling that right now. Maybe it's a personal disaster, struggle, suffering that you're facing through sickness, maybe through bereavement. Maybe in a relationship that's struggling or through lack of relationship. So what if disaster is facing you right now? Well, let's turn to God's word because God speaks truth. And let's see if we can find some answers. Look with me, if you can, at, if you can, at verse 23 to begin with. It just simply says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning... A furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Lovely picture, isn't it? Now, one of my greatest ambitions uh, in life, I'm never going to do it, but is is to sail around the world. Uh, And particularly, I'd love to sail in the Southern Ocean. Um, You know, that goes from the Cape that some of you know quite well because you were born down there in South Africa, um, uh, right across to the western coast of um, uh, Australia. The waves can tower above your boat, um, quite amazing and very, very cold. And many an arrogant sailor has been humbled in those waters. I don't know if you remember Ellen MacArthur as she sailed in that global Vondi race in, in her catamaran, actually weeping for three days solid as she sailed along the southern oceans. I don't think it's a too dissimilar peril. The furious storm on the lake would have been terrifying. And you can see that. Look at verse 25. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Uh, It was well known that violent squalls, as they're called locally there, or storms, develop very, very quickly on the Sea of Galilee. The surface of the the water is actually 250 metres below sea level. And because of the um, ambient temperature, it means that, obviously, vapours rise very, very quickly. Hot air rises and, and therefore sucks into the area cool air from the south, southern eastern uh, regions and very quickly waves can rise up 
is actually why the World Windsurfing Championships was there two years ago, um, because of those very, very nice, consistent winds. Uh, but here, what we're seeing is it, it's, a, it, it's a massive over... It, it's much bigger than that. And these people are, are they're not on a pleasure cruise. This is not you and I, you know, uh, got very little experience of sailing on big seas. These are hardened men, many of them fishermen. They knew the area well. They knew the conditions well. And in their opinion, which is much better than ours, they think they're going to drown. This is their Southern Ocean cyclonic tempest. This is their Japan tsunami. This is their hole in the sand collapsing about to suffocate them. This is their disaster, if you like. It is their turn to feel, if you like, the strike of chaos, to feel the pain of this world. But why is the world like this? Now, the answer perhaps isn't obvious in this passage, but I think it's there. And I think it's really important that we deal with it. Because how you understand the world around you, how you explain it to your friends given the the prevalence of natural disasters at the moment in news, is so critical. If if this is just an evil and bad world, how do you explain all around you that is good? You know, look at the beautiful sunset of a summer's evening. Look at the mountains in the alpine splendour. There's so much good around you in this world and beauty that you can appreciate. So you have to explain, understand and explain a world where at the same moment there can be this beautiful and joyous and brilliant things happening. But at the same moment, you've got to be able to explain death and pain and suffering and destruction. You have to be able to meet a family who, you know, who live in Japan at the moment, who have been exposed to high levels of radiation as the Fukushima um, nuclear plant has leaked after those, the tsunamis um, destroyed it. You've got to be able to look them in the eye and explain why the, the beautiful sunset still appears over Fukushima. And yet all around them they see people who have inhaled those gases and will for now for decades face pain and suffering and early death. I wonder what the perhaps, let's say, Buddhist monks would be saying to those people in Japan right now. They, they would have to say something like this. What you're facing is just an illusion. Most people in this country, though, aren't Buddhist. And, and rather, they would say the situation is probably just an accident. Uh, there's no God. There's no higher purpose. This is just a kind of chance of chemical reactions of this world coming together. And there you go, a bit of bad luck. That's atheism. But if you believe that, you can't say the sunset that rises behind that nuclear plant that has leaked all those gases. Uh, you can't say that that is beautiful. That's just a random happening in a random world. There's no meaning or purpose or delight to be had in that, that thing of beauty. There can't even be a disaster. It's just a random occurrence. But that is atheism for you. And if you think you are an atheist here tonight, then you have to ask yourself, is there any difference in your heart and your mind and in this world between that beautiful sunset and those irradiated people who will face suffering and the 35,000 have died in Japan? Is there any difference? Because if they're both 
random occurrences in a random world where there's no moral absolute. Therefore, there is no appreciation of loss and of beauty. Well, if that's what you think, then you have a huge faith in that philosophy, in that worldview of atheism. I find that really difficult to live with. I find it quite ugly as well. And I'm quite sad because the death of 35,000 people in the east coast of Japan makes me sad. As I guess it makes you feel sad. You know, I look at the starving in Ethiopia at the moment and it, it, it makes my stomach turn. I think there's a better answer to give to the suffering in this world than just a kind of, hey ho, shrug of the shoulders and just say, bit of bad luck there. Sorry guys. See, God made this world, he made it with value and meaning and beauty. It was very good, as we saw in our Bible studies in Genesis 1 the other day. But mankind has obviously rejected God. And as creatures reject their creator, the world was condemned, as we're going to read later on in Genesis chapter 3. And it becomes chaotic, and that is part of God's judgment on this world. So when you look at Japan, you can't actually say that God is judging, listen, this world. Not necessarily and specifically Japan. A very clear distinction there. But this world, including you and me. This explanation, it, it might not be completely satisfactory, but it is more comprehensive than saying, what they're experiencing in Japan at the moment is just an illusion or just a random bit of bad luck. See, the Bible ex- uh, Bible's explanation sits with our reality because it shows, it shows that we can know joy, but we can also know sadness. We see the, the world in its beauty and its order because God has made, us, made it that way for us to enjoy. But on the other hand, we also see the pain And that is explained because we live in a world under God's judgment. So the Bible can make sense of this world as we explain why the sunset is beautiful and why the body count is still rising in Japan and Ethiopia. Because what we see in our story tonight, and we we get to our first point, (laughs) it's taken us a while, but we'll go quickly through them. Um, We see evidence of a world under God's judgment. Like the storm in our story, like the tsunami or the earthquake this year, this evidence is, is there that not all is right in this world. We live in a world under judgment. The disciples facing death in this boat, that, that situation might seem completely alien to us. But we will all face storms in this life. We will all see and experience God's judgment on this world and we will all face the greatest storm, namely death itself. See, those 44% in that BBC poll, their, their immediate response to, to, to Japan was fear. And that is an appropriate response because it is, if you like, in response to judgment, God's judgment on this sinful world. Look at verse 25. Look, look down at verse 25. They say, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Then it goes on, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. Try a bit of an experiment when you get home. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? You've all done it, so don't deny it. You get in a bath, just move the water around. Why don't you create your own squall? 
bit of a furious storm in the bath. You know, get it going. And then just see if you can shout, stop. It's not going to happen, is it? A few years back, we were on holiday in Turkey. And we actually were reading of the story in Mark's account in the Bible with the boys. And uh, the following day, we went down to the sea. And it was blowing about a uh, force five. And we stood on the breakwater with the boys. and, And I said to them, come on, boys. See if you can do it. Remember what Jesus did last night in the Bible? Yeah, see if you can do it. Yes, we can do it. You know, off they were. So there they stood on the breakwater, force five, waves, good swell, going, stop, like this. Surprisingly enough, no luck for them. It didn't work. But you see how Jesus speaks to the waves? Like, a ch- like they're a child. He rebukes them. Now, I do challenge you. I mean, why don't you borrow Rob's kids for a day? Why don't you, you know, borrow a toddler and ask them to stop, and you'll soon see the effect of your voice over God's world and creation. Um, they don't listen too much sometimes. But Jesus rebukes the waves and says, stop. Can you imagine the disciples? One moment they are clinging to the side of the boat to stay in and stay alive. And the next minute... They're getting the sunblock out and rowing along a mill pond. Obviously a bit of poetic license there, but you've got to get the idea. Waves that are about to kill them, and they are gone by the word of a man. Hence verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Shame on They should have known. Psalm 89 verse 9. Psalm 89 verse 9 says this. You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. You see, the Bible's clear again and again and again. Who's the one that controls the waves and the seas? God and God alone. Who is this man? It's God. Some cynics would say there's many who, who could have or could have done what Jesus did. You know, it could, could have been an illusionist. They could have done that. A magician, a faith healer. Do you ever notice how quiet they become when a natural disaster comes? Have you ever seen David Blaine on the coast of Florida as a hurricane's coming in, saying, no, stop? Where was he on the east coast of Japan? He's meant to be a great, powerful man, isn't he? Do you see the difference? One's a, a, an illusionist, an entertainer, and one is God. The controller and sustainer of creation. And that's pointed us to our second point. I've done that already. But it's kind of evidence that Jesus is king of this world. And notice there is evidence to see. The Christian faith is not a blind leap of faith. Rather it is faith in a historically evidenced man. The most historically evidenced man that has ever lived. A man who averted disaster with a word. Stop. We see all around us the evidence of this world that that it is under God's judgment. And we see it in our own lives as we see decay in our bodies. They sag and we'll finally breathe our last one day. But there is evidence right before you here in this historically verified story that despite all the chaos of this world, the evidence that this world is under God's judgment, there is also evidence to show that despite this chaos, that Jesus is God and he is king over everything. Thirdly, I think, third point, there is evidence of a future perfect world. The disciples were about to drown, but with a word, 
God incarnate in the man Jesus rebukes creation and the disciples are rescued. Rescued from this broken and chaotic world. And for that moment, that glimmer of time, these men on this boat on the Sea of Galilee see the world as it ought to be. Ordered. Without chaos. For a moment, the world was as it was intended to be created. As it was created. That is, it was very good. Of course, it doesn't last and chaos resumes, but disaster returns. But what we have in this fleeting moment is a glimpse of what will be. Jesus has demonstrated that he is king, but he also allows us a sneak preview of what is to come in his, in his eternal kingdom. You get a taste of it, a glimmer. This is no fake, it's not an illusion. One of my favourite films is The Thomas Crown Affair. The recent one, I don't, I've never seen the old one. But I've seen that, a great film. It's basically a, a, a kind of tale of fake versus real. I'm not going to give the game away because that would be too easy and it's a great film. But uh, a Rembrandt is stolen from the art gallery and the film is dedicated to trying to find this great and very expensive painting. And it, it's a kind of, what is the fake one and what is the real one? Well, Jesus is not bringing out and showing us a copy of of what he has promised. He's actually showing us here the real thing. See, Jesus has promised that he will come back and he will put the world right. He doesn't just promise it. He actually walks out with the the real painting here and, and gives us a demonstration of its beauty. In the middle of this cyclonic, damaged, earthquake-scarred world, you see chaos gone for this moment. And everything is put right. There's a taste of what is to come. And the rescue to come. It was completely calm. Do you want that? Do you want want that future, eternal, glorious kingdom? Are you sure you've got it? I guess watching the news can be traumatising, but at the same time thrilling. Because you get these situations where people go into situations of disaster and drag people out. There's rescue, isn't there? And we all clap and we all cheer and it's brilliant. But you see the difference between how Jesus rescues and how we as desperate human beings rescue. We pull people from disaster. We rescue people from a situation. But what about Jesus? Does he walk into a a disaster zone and sort of have x-ray vision and be able to look through all the kind of the rocks and the rubble and pinpoint where everyone is? Does he do that? No. Does he sort of stand as a kind of early warning system on the coast of East uh, East Japan and sort of say, everyone move out because there's there's a tsunami coming? No, he's not. Jesus is not a superhero. He is God. And Jesus stands in the middle of the situation of disaster and he says, stop. He doesn't escape from disaster. He just simply stops it. And he transforms this world in what it's supposed to be. It's a complete rescue we're seeing here. And the Bible says that one day Jesus will stand up and he will speak and all disaster will stop. There'll be no more tsunamis, no more earthquakes, no more calls from a family relation to say, mum has died, dad has died, gran has died, whatever it may be. Jesus will rescue this world and, and transform it to become new, disaster free, without pain. If you like, only sunset. And no piles of bodies from a tsunami sweeping through. 
If you don't believe me, look at the evidence here. It was completely calm. It's a complete rescue. Evidence of a future perfect world. Lastly, I want to think about the response very quickly as we close. Is there evidence in our lives that we have faith in this king, Jesus and his future kingdom? So last point, evidence of our faith in the king. Look at the verses with me, verse 26 and 27. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown, he replied. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? The disciples here, they, they, they show us two possibilities, I think, in our response. That is, are we going to respond with fear or are we going to respond with faith? I suppose it relies on which is more real to the disciples in this situation, the storm or Jesus? Jesus is the one who's demonstrated he's king all that they... And, He's demonstrated he's king of all that they see. He's calmed this storm. But also what he's king of what they haven't seen. Which is more real to them? Is it the storm? Or is it himself, Jesus? The disciples have some faith because at least they turn to Jesus and wake him up. Uh, you know, in the disaster, but he responds, doesn't he? You have little faith. But see, facing a storm, it's just a little bit of faith that they demonstrate. The thing that dominates these disciples, the thing that consumes them in this world is fear of this storm, the the disaster before them. The storm is more real to them than Jesus, the king. But Jesus is kind and he calms the storm and he provides evidence of who he is and what he has come to do. And as they see that, it's, it's interesting, you see the response of the disciples, their, their faith grows a little. You see that in verse 27, they were amazed. And th- their amazement is a sign that the chaos of this world is, is getting smaller. The storm is getting smaller in their hearts and minds and Jesus is getting bigger in their hearts and minds. Literally that says they marvel at him. What about us? What do you see in your life? It, it, Do you see more fear or more faith? Before we answer that, we we have to know what we're putting our faith in. Uh, And for example, there's no promise in this passage, is there, um, or anywhere really in in the Bible, that, that putting your faith in Jesus will make life easy. The passage is not saying to you that Jesus will avert um, any kind of trouble coming your way. Your life will not be pain-free, disaster-free. Jesus doesn't promise to rescue us out of disaster right now. This is just a glimpse of what is to come. You may die in an earthquake. you, You may face all sorts of trouble. But if your faith is in Jesus, maybe not today, but one day Jesus will rescue you and he will say stop to everything. And the trouble and the pain and the disaster, whatever you face in your life, will end as you meet him face to face. Do you trust Christ for this kind of rescue? How do you know that you trust him? Well, the kind of evidence that you should see in your life would be see how much fear is in your life. Do you fear people um, and their you know, impression of you? Do you fear suffering and pain and disaster? 
Or do you trust in Jesus that he will see you through it and say, stop? When you look at Japan and Ethiopia, what do you feel? Do you, do you look at them and just simply get depressed and think, oh, you know, this is how bad God's awful judgment is and, oh, you know, I get kind of woe is me kind of feel, half pint empty stuff. Or do you look at that and say, yes, it's God's judgment, but be assured that one day Jesus will say, stop. If you get a call this week and a family member has weeks to live as cancer finds its next victim, well, do you say something like this? Oh, my world is going to collapse without this person. Or do you say something like, as dreadful as this is, as sad as I feel and as many tears as I shed, I know that a world is coming, a new world where there is no pain and sadness for those with faith in Christ. What is more real to you? This world, its pain, its disasters, or King Jesus and the kingdom which he died on the cross, taking the punishment that our sins deserve to give us new life, eternal life, and also a new perspective, a new way of thinking, a new hope and The key is not fear, but rather faith in him. We're all a bit like the disciples, aren't we? We do relate to them. We struggle with faith. We have little faith. So look to Jesus. And like his disciples, be amazed by him. Find out more about him, where it's obvious. Look in his word. Read about him. Have joy in him, because one day he will stand up and he will say, stop. And all the disaster that we see around us, and maybe in our lives too, all will be stopped. And we will be as God created. Very good. Look at Jesus. Do not be afraid, rather be amazed. And put your faith in him. Let's pray as we close. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Heavenly Heavenly Father, this small little uh, story uh, in Matthew's Gospel here provides us with great evidence. We see a world um, in turmoil under under your judgment And we see the Lord Jesus, that man who can control your creation, who's king of this world. Heavenly Father, help us to go beyond that in this story and see the little glimmer there of what this points towards, that future eternal kingdom. And Lord, we know that the only way that we can enjoy that and be with you forever is through That man who has the power to control wind and waves. And as they obeyed him, may we obey him, come to him, depend on him. Because only through his bloodshed on the cross can we enjoy eternity with him. Amen. I think we've probably...